0: Welcome to Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. This podcast series is compiled from Dr. Whitney's university class entitled Justifying Beliefs. The thesis of this class is that we all hold beliefs, and no matter what they are or how deeply we adhere to them, we owe it to ourselves to apply rational testing of our beliefs in order to aim to justify them. This class takes us along that journey, perhaps for the first time or more deeply. For further insights and materials mentioned in this series, please refer to the resource page on Facebook entitled Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. Why should we have to defend these beliefs? Well, because there are so many opposing beliefs. Um, How do we know we're right and they're not? Are we all right? Can everybody be right? You know, I've talked about the law of non-contradiction, something, let's say, A can't be B and not B at the same time. One good example would be, if you take two opposing religious beliefs, one of them believes in reincarnation, one of them believes in resurrection. Those are different opposing beliefs. The law of non-contradiction, just to give one clear example, I think, would be to say, something's wrong with the argument for holding both of those contradictory beliefs. Either life after death is A, let's say A is life after death, so either it's B, which means resurrection, or it's not B, not resurrection, but reincarnation. It can't be both, logically. This culture, though, violates the law of non-contradiction left, right, and center. It never stops. We violate it daily, despite the fact that it's the fundamental logical law we live by In Western culture, I grant that other cultures don't appreciate the law of non contradiction, but since Aristotle 2,500 years ago, this is the basis of Western culture. You can't say that something is this and that if they contradict each other completely. So when our culture says that you can believe what you believe and I'll believe what I want to believe, now in general that sounds all right, but then let's break it down and say, well, what, what do you believe about life after death? And you say, blah, blah, blah. And I say, well, that completely contradicts what I believe. Now, the law of non-contradiction says we both can't be right. We both could be wrong, but we both can't be right. Now, we violate that law. So the point is, are we willing to drop logic and rationality and just become mystics? Because quite frankly, that's what this culture is becoming. It is becoming mystical. It is becoming subjective. It is becoming privatized. We believe what we believe, and and we know that it contradicts other people's beliefs. And it's okay to say, well, live and let live. Let them believe what they believe, and I believe what I believe. But quite frankly, if there's a contradiction, we're violating basic laws by which this culture has always always lived. And I don't think we can live by violating the law of non-contradiction. It's like saying a tree is a tree, but it's not a tree, and they both make sense. This is, this is fun for logic class, or maybe some mystical version of logic, but I don't think we can live by violating that, just basic logical laws like the non-contradiction law. But we do. We do continually. Again, we'll, next week we'll talk more about just this whole problem of, um, this objectivism and this, this, uh, uh, which basically turns into a skepticism about everything, because if everybody's right in their own perspective, that really is saying that no one's right. because it means everybody's contradicting everybody. So we must all be wrong, it seems. There's, there's problems with this that are just immense. but i am telling you I've added one other document. In my thesis has said one of the theses is, the reason we have to justify our beliefs in religion and in spirituality is because this culture demeans them. And, and my, my argument was, we are the majority. Believers in some kind of spiritual reality, God or some other kind of spirituality, we are the majority. Yet, professors at universities and people who are teaching in the public system are out of sync with what the majority believes. And that's, that's the same way it is with the media. Look at the startling facts on what scientists believe. That's half the university. Scientists almost no belief in God, um, which is completely out of sync with the majority. Now I found another one. Um, they interviewed. I'll just. This one's on the web, but I, I've got more information that's on the web. It's called the World View of the Media. My argument has always been: I don't want to tell you things like I'm making them up. I want to back them up with legitimate stats or legitimate. You know, arguments. So these polls are uh, right off the press. How many of the media, the news readers, these are the people who filter the news, who write the newspapers, who, who read the news at night, who, who write the editorials. These are powerful, powerful people. Almost as powerful as the, as, as the academics, the professors who basically filter and teach the reigning liberal paradigm of the day generation after generation of students, uh, the scientists. How can you get a fair shake in a science class if there's no belief in God? I mean, you don't even look at intelligent design, design or creationism or whatever. But anyway, here's the media. They were asked, how many of you, these are, these are big shots too, these are not somebody from Bismarck, Dakota. North, th- these are major elite media that have all the power in this country. How many attend religious services? 80% don't. How many actually do attend? 8%. 8% of the media attend religious services. And yet these people, when they're reporting religious news, how are you going to get a fair shake? How, how do you, how can you trust somebody who has no religion, uh, to, to actually know something about it? They take crash courses. And I've got their little, their little preparation, you know, for reporters. Here's here's the handbook on Islam and here's the handbook on Christianity. It's like a fast food education for these people because they know next to nothing about religion and yet they're going to be reporting religion. 8% attend a religious service. Um, 50% of these news readers, media writers, all these people involved that, that filtered reality to us and in, in all these media. Um, 50% have absolutely no religious affiliation, but 80% seldom attend, so obviously some of them have a religious affiliation, but 80% of them seldom even darken the door of a church, probably at a funeral or a wedding at most. 90% of these elite media uh, believe in abortion. That is out of sync with the general population. 81% are Democrats, which basically is another word for liberal. 81%. And you think that the Republicans in, in, in the United States are getting a fair shake in the media? 81% of the elite media are Democrats. Almost all of them blame the United States for third world poverty. I don't have a figure, just as, just about every one of them. In the 1992 election, I just want to I want to overwhelm you here with how loaded, how one-sided the media is, and how one-sided academia is. And that's the last stat, and then it's gone unless somebody wants to ask a question next week about clarifying the stats, and I'll, I'll do it then if there's anything. What did they do in the 1992 election when Bush ran against Clinton? Eighty-nine percent of the media voted for Clinton. Seven percent voted for Bush. When you compare that with the country in general, with all Americans, it was 43 for Clinton, not 89. And it was 37 for Bush, not 7. That fact alone shows you that the people who are writing and, and giving us the news in Time magazine... And, and, and on the CBC and the New York Times and all these big powerful newspapers, 89% of them, you know, as, as, as compared to 43% of all Americans vote for Clinton, only 7 vote for Bush and 37% vote of all Americans did. When, when they're asked to define themselves, are you a liberal generally or a conservative generally, you media people? There are, 61% said they're liberal. Nine percent said they're conservative. When they were asked their political affiliation, what party do you belong to? Four percent of the media in the United States, four percent said they're Republican. This is not 50-50. The, the balance is seriously weighed against the government as it, as it is now in the States. I've got a couple of others I haven't put on the web. Let me give you a couple other figures here. Um, how many of you in the media they asked This is another poll. This this is called the Ivy League 2005, right off the press. Just grab this one on the web. I'm thinking about putting it on, but I don't want to overwhelm you. I think I'll just read this and then just a couple. Ivy League profs. This is Yale and Harvard and Chicago, all the big, powerful universities that that turns out the next generation of leaders. Ivy League professors. 3% claim they're conservative. 61% claim they're liberal. These are the profs teaching. And I bet you the University of Windsor is pretty much the same. 3% conservative, 61% liberal. How many read the New York Times, they were asked? 72%. Over Wall Street Journal, 5%. There's a big difference. The New York Times is the most liberal newspaper that was ever invented. 72% of media people read that one. 5% read the Wall Street Journal. Version of things. When asked, should school funding in the United States a big issue right now? This is, like I say, 2005. Um, right now, when should school funding, even for religious schools um, and choice of what what school you go to, should 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 we start funding religious schools? Uh, the, these elite professors, 26% only said yes, we should. Whereas all Americans, the figure is exactly the opposite, 62%. Americans are saying 62%. We want to fund alternative schools, including religious schools. The Ivy League professors say 26%. When asked, one last figure: Who did you vote for? Um, actually, here's a, here's a better one. Like rank the presidents in the last 40 years. Who who do you think was the best president of the United States in the last 40 years? The first four. These are the professors being asked. And the first four, of course, are Democrats. Clinton, Kennedy, Johnson, and Carter. 26, 17, 15, and 13. Like, you don't need the numbers, but it, it, it's four Democrats. George Bush comes in at last, the, the current George Bush, with no percent. None. Nobody. Uh, Ford has one percent. Nixon had one percent. George Bush, number one, had 2%. And Ronald Reagan, who conservatives think was the best president, uh, had 4%. Now tell me, th- these are the people teaching political science and history. And if these are the stats that are even remotely close to what's going on here, because this is what's happening with the people who write the textbooks. These are the leaders in the field at Ivy League universities. These are the geniuses. These are the ones who have the big positions of power. They rank for Democrats. It, it shows you these people are liberal and democratic. This, this article ends, but uh, it's, um, it ends by saying that university students deserve more than this. I, I, I should read it, but I, I'm trying to save some time. You deserve to, have, you're the brightest mind. You deserve to have a fair distribution of power here. We have positions of power. I mean, you could be harangued, and I know there, I, I hope, I hope I'm not being accused of that in any of your minds, but I'm trying not to harangue you, but I feel like, like a minority of one here sometimes among the 540 profs. I feel like a minority of one because I know the harangues that go on in other classes, um, some in particular, very well. And it just seems like these stats uh, just bear out what, what I'm hearing about other classes. Um, 3%, this other poll that just... If you want to see this one, I'm not going to put this on the web, but if you want, it's on the front page magazine. I just found this one. Front page magazine, 2005. That's the Ivy League professors. This is the one that says, are you generally conservative? And 3% of these professors said, yeah, I'm conservative. And 61% said I'm liberal. You don't need all the percentages, but the story here is that... Uh, like, I, I, I'm not going to make the case anymore, but here's the argument. The reason that religious people like me and you, most of you, spiritual people, have to justify our beliefs is because we're not taken seriously by the media and we're not taken seriously by academia, period. And if you think I'm making it up, just check out the stats or show me something that contradicts it. Um, you have a right to know that. It's a, the it's a very last thing you'll ever hear anywhere because the liberals seem to think they're mainstream. And uh, that's the mystery to me. Mainstream would be the majority, it seems to me, but whatever. The, the, the battle wages. We have to do something besides saying, I have religious beliefs. They're not popular to talk about in the university class, so I'll just put them inside and not talk about them at all. I won't even try to reconcile them to what's going on in biology or psychology or sociology. I'll just put them away. I don't think you have to do that. I think that's a crime for you to have to put your religious beliefs away or your spiritual beliefs away because they're being ridiculed or bashed or ignored by the, uh, by the, by the people in power. That's the thesis. That's what the stats are about. Um, it's that simple. And I'm taking up the, the philosophy of religion, um, protest by saying that philosophy of religion is dedicated to showing the rationality of religious belief. We're, we're, we resist this this caricature that religious people are just faithist fanatics. So that's what the theme here is. Okay, now let's look at some of the arguments for why we're not. You already know from last week that we, we told ourselves that we should use rational criteria, evidence, coherence, consistency. Like our beliefs should be treated like any belief. A scientific belief, an historical belief... Like, Why do we say that we should study scientific theories and look for evidence, but religious beliefs, we don't need evidence. We don't have to study them, we just believe them. It's no wonder people don't take us seriously. So we have to do more than just... That's the argument. I mean, there's a lot of people, uh, I, I think it's the majority, and these are, these are good people. It's just, we've not stressed this enough, and because we haven't stressed this, we've become almost irrelevant. Religious beliefs. Like I say, I've told you before. It's a sad thought when I think about it. When when I walk out the door for the last time, like there won't be anybody taking my place. Like this, these classes are just gone. Uh, the university in general has, no, as far as I know, there's just there's just there's no interest in teaching anything that goes against the grain of every other class here. Uh, it's it, it, it's like we we in in the good old days we used to send one of our ethicists, a guy who taught social ethics, over to the business school to teach business ethics. And my God, I can't tell you the you know, the hassle that went on there. Because at universities like Stanford, they, they actually have courses on how to cheat on your taxes and help other people do it. But we were sending people over from religious perspectives saying we shouldn't be doing this, and we shouldn't be doing this, and business is the problem. And, and And you people need an education, a philosophy of business. It wasn't popular. I remember at least one professor, if not two from my department, were banned from the business building forever for that kind of stuff. But we're, we're just basically, despite the fact we're unpopular, we're trying to say that there's there's another opinion around here that has no voice. And it happens to be the majority opinion of most people, unless you're already indoctrinated, which is the idea of a university. It's it's not really to advance knowledge. That's That's the ideal goal of a university. Before you and I can advance knowledge do something creative and make the world a better place, we have to be educated into the dominant knowledge of the day. That, that's basically the mandate. To educate people into what we believe, and then you go on from there and do whatever is creative with it. Because that's, that's your generation. That's, that's your task. Every generation does it. But first comes the ominous, what do we believe in each discipline? And what you believe, what you're getting from... from most of this culture is not consistent with probably what you believe. And I don't think you should have to put it away like that and hide it. Now, having said that, we'll just move on. Now, you know the word apologetics. Apologetics is just a fancy word, again, for justifying religious beliefs. That's all it means. Justifying religious beliefs. Justifying beliefs in general, but in our case, religious beliefs. There are rules. You know, without rules... I don't know how we could communicate. Without these tests, without these logical and the tests include logic and rationality and consistency. All of without this, I don't know how we can communicate except for you to say, I feel there's reincarnation and I could say, Well, I feel that it's wrong. There's something else. Like we wouldn't get anywhere. And you could say, Well, so what? Well, I would say I don't like living violating Laws of non-contradiction. I mean, you may not stay awake tonight worrying about violating those laws, but the more we violate, the more we live that way. Of course, then you can have a Hitler, or you can have an Idi Amin. You can have anything goes after a while if there are no ways to judge, to test, to assess, and no one's saying that it's conclusive. Remember that this isn't mathematical precision. This is simply saying, look at what you believe before, you know, just go beyond feeling and see if there's anything really there. Um, and realize that the person beside you has a contradictory belief and it's very hard to live with that when it gets downright important. If it's your mother who wants euthanasia and she has a very different religious belief than you do, like if that's going to put her in some eternal hell in her mind, which would be a shame to think that way, but if, if she thinks that way, but you don't, I mean, you can do damage to people without without appreciating their beliefs, and it, it, some of these things have to be looked at a little more carefully than we do. These are very very common arguments, like there are n- there's no such thing as absolute truth. This is this culture's mandate. This is this culture's you know major slogan. There is no absolute truth. Do you know that that statement is making an ab- It is basically a statement of absolute truth, it's saying there is no absolute truth is the only absolute truth. It's self-refuting. That's a logical contradiction. You can't say there is no absolute truth because you've just made a statement that's absolute. It's refuted itself. And yet this culture, in general, in all the disciplines, make up your own mind. There is no truth. The only truth is what's good for you, what feels right for you. If there is no absolute truth, even even saying there is no absolute truth is a problem. If you start by by believing a contradiction, something that's not just a contradiction, but it refutes itself. It shows that it's wrong just by stating it. Then that should be a red flag that maybe I'm wrong about that. Um you know what would happen if if if, if, if something like a Hitler took over this culture? What would happen if the skinheads took over a Nazi party and they started wiping out all the sick and the minorities and the gays, all of that, like it happened in Germany? Would we still be saying, well, it's good for them, but not for me? No, we would all be saying, that's not right. Surely we'd be saying that. I know we want to live and let live and love everybody, but the minute some tyrant takes over, I think that's when we... It has to be, it's almost like we need a culture shock, like something nasty that, like that to happen before we're going to get it, that there might be an absolute truth after all, that we shouldn't be killing innocent people. That might be an absolute truth that everybody believes in, whether they admit it or not. And I can give you other absolute truths that I, I'm sure you feel like I do, that I am convinced that I'm free. I'm convinced that I have a personal identity different than yours. I'm convinced that the law of causality makes sense. That for every effect, there actually was a cause. There's no such thing as something just happens without a cause. So I believe in free will as an absolute. I believe in personal identity. I believe in, in the law of causation. Every every effect has a cause. There's lots of things that are absolute. And yet, this culture wants to just, without thinking too much, say there is no absolute truth. And the only people that are that are disgusting in this culture are people who say there is an absolute truth. You know, like, like, scientism, or Christianity, or Islam, like, tradition, like, scientism does that. The only absolute truth is the scientific method. That's scientism. It's not science, it's scientism. It's when a scientist says, our method is so good that we must be the only absolute truth there is. We must be the only source of truth in the universe. We, and nobody else. No religion, no spirit, we. That's an absolute statement. That happens to be wrong, but there may be other absolute truths that, that aren't wrong. Uh, I'm just saying, read what Wade says. It's, it's way too short, unfortunately, because this is the big one. And this is postmodernism with a vengeance. This is the New Age with a vengeance. This is this is mysticism taking over the culture. It may not be a bad thing in everything. Like It's a, it's a good spirituality. It's better than none, but uh, there's... It has some serious contradictions when you start looking at what it actually says. The second slogan that we hear, all religions are the same. All religions are the same. How many times have we heard that one? They're all the same. Well, you know, they aren't all the same. Um, that, that is a, that is a serious logical fallacy to even think that because Again, it it it, uh, it it's not self-refuting like the first example, but it, it it violates the law of non-contradiction. What religions are the same? let I mean, I, I could look at at 500 different religions, and I can find contradictions in those religions. Yes, most religions have the same ethical laws. They, you know, everybody promotes, you know, courage and love and 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 tolerance, and 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 every every religion hates murder and abuse, like all of the yeah, there are similarities, but to say that all religions are the same, what you're ignoring is that it's the law of non-contradiction, like the example I used, well, some religions say that after life there's reincarnation. Some religions say that after life, like, like early Buddhism, would say there's, there's the annihilation, there's nothingness. Other religions would say there's resurrection. Um, if you look at other issues, some religions say God is personal, other religions say God is just the human potential, a spiritual essence that has no mind or no no source, just, just whatever the universe is. The, all religions are not the same. That violates the law of non-contradiction. And the first one, to say that there is no absolute truth, is self-refuting. Now, a third one, I, I know these are in the text, but I do want to talk about these because this is how we don't want to argue. Like, I don't want you all hyped up thinking that, you know, maybe he's right. I, I don't think so, but maybe there's a, maybe he's got a, you know, just a minute's fuel of truth that maybe I should think a little bit more about what I believe. Uh, I don't want the bad arguments though. Like, the bad arguments are useless. It's better just to keep your mouth shut, I suppose. Although it takes practice. Look at number three. A lot of people say, I don't believe in God because look what, look at how many bad Christians there are. Look at these awful child molesting priests and hypocrites. On oh, now, that's a non sequitur. That's the, that's a the logical. It doesn't follow. God would exist whether or not Christians are good, bad, or indifferent. Whether there are bad priests or good priests, it's irrelevant. It doesn't follow. It's a it's an illogical argument. It's a fallacy. It has nothing to do with God's existence. There are bad people. Everywhere, in every religion, in every culture. But you hear that. I I, I had a guy stand up in class about two years ago, and he he was really, really angry. How can you talk about belief in God? These priests are just awful people. I know one, he was a terrible man. What's that got to do with belief in God? He's not God, this priest. He's just a bad guy that shouldn't be a priest. It's a non-sequitur. We're going to find almost every argument for and against a belief when we start doing these things are bad arguments. So we've got to be aware of the logical fallacies. I can't attach a fallacy to each of these. Some of them are just, they violate just about every fallacy. Um, another one says, here's, here's a favorite one of mine. And, and I'm just going to begin this one. And if we have some time at the end of the class, I think we're going to do some stuff on, um, uh, comparing religions and just see, cause that's, that's a hot issue now. And, um, I just don't want to rush what I want to do first. This one says that, isn't Christianity elitist? It claims that it has the truth. You hear that all the time in this culture, because Christianity dominates or did dominate the culture, so of course it's on the hit list if you want to make room for something else. Now did you know, if you actually study this, go to Hinduism, which claims that it is a religion that's eclectic. It accepts every view. It worships Jesus. It worships quite frankly, in one village it worships Marilyn Monroe. And Hinduism is can be atheistic, it can be polytheistic, it can be monistic. Hinduism claims that it is unlike Christianity, it accepts every position and everybody. Read a little read a little further. And all of a sudden you start seeing some differences. All of a sudden, the ugly exclusivistic claim rears its head. All of a sudden, the Hindu scriptures, the Bhagavad Gita, the Vedas, these become, of course, the ultimate scriptures. The other ones are simply, you know, on the progress to, to, to finally realizing. What I'm saying is, if you, if you're claiming that Christianity is exclusivistic because it claims it has the truth, so does every bloody other religion. Everyone, they all claim they have the ultimate truth. So get off Christianity's ass, right? That it, it, it's on and on and on in this culture. It's like Christianity is the only thing that's poisoned, and 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 everybody's guilty of it. Whatever you believe, you you think you have the ultimate truth, and everybody else is wrong, whether you admit it or not. And because of that, we have power struggles in this culture. Everybody has their own pet belief, and their power struggle is to get people in power with their belief. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us for the next episode as the journey of Justifying Beliefs continues.